Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf. Uh, Of course, I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is uh, none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we are, of course, your hosts here on the show. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and of course, you are settled this week down in Orlando because you've got another boot camp, right? I do. We have the junior boot camp this week. Eight minions that we're going to help get really better and learn to score. (laughs) If not, they're finding their own way home, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Just kidding. The long way. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I'm always excited to hear about that. And and we were just talking, uh, I'll tell everybody a little bit about the show here in just a moment, but we were just talking for a moment or two um, about how long you've been doing this. And you were kind of equating it to, of course, as most people that follow the show know, your uh, daughter has uh, been with the Golf Channel for a number of years. So how long have you been doing the boot camps? I believe that it's 20 years, maybe 21 uh, Kelly has wow. been with the Golf Channel for 14, and we came mm-hmm. down here to do a boot camp before she went to college. So I think it's 20 or 21 years we've been doing boot camps, which is awesome. It's my excuse to get yeah, and you, and you don't Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, especially since uh, it gets a little a little nippy up there. And you don't just do one a, a year, though. I mean, you do what two, three, if not more, a, a season. Typically, I mean, forgetting um, last year, obviously, with, our, with COVID. But. Yeah, this will be our third this year. We, we normally do one in November, possibly sometimes one in December, one in January, two in February, one in March, one in April. So a lot. Wow. And only right, one and is dedicated to juniors. The rest of them are typically adults. Right. This one well, and that's for that's, all for juniors. Yeah, and that's good. It's good to, to have a, a good mix like that. And, and obviously, there's a lot of adults that need help. And, and you guys, uh, you and your husband, Alan, of course, who is a life member of the PGA, um, do a great job with those. And very quickly before we start, um, for those that are maybe interested in a future boot camp that maybe want to participate, where can they go to get more information? They should email me, Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com. Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, we're going to start uh, this morning's show, and then uh, we'll let you get off uh, and start uh, the first uh, session with your boot camp. All right. We've got a great show this morning. Of course, the Symmetra Tour is on a hiatus, I believe, this week and next week. Uh, so we're not going to have the winners until uh, probably about two weeks' time. Uh, so we're going to fill it in here with our, our favorite uh, segment, of course. That's the No BS Zone. And we're going to talk about five quick tips to hit the ball further. Everybody seems to want to hit the ball further. We've put a few tips together that hopefully will help you do that or at least give you a guide to to some things to work on. And then a little bit later on the show, we're going to be joined by our very special guest, Kathy Hartwood, who is an LPJ teacher professional as well as uh, Cindy is. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about her uh, as we, uh, we get closer to that time. All right. So Cindy, everybody wants to hit the ball further. At some point, every golfer gets the itch to hit it further. And why not? Adding a bit more distance uh, can help shorten your approach shots and improve your ability to hit greens and regulation. Plus, it feels great to really give one a ride. In other words, belt it out there a mile. Um, the problems begin to creep into the pitcher when we, you start uh, 
giving up consistency for those extra yards. These issues predominantly arise from the belief that hitting the ball farther means you need to be stronger or swing harder, which is a, a common misconception. So if you haven't figured this out on your own, you'll soon find out uh, that doing so increases your margin of error, thus resulting in a hook, a slice, and all sorts of other messy shots. So uh, with that said, here uh, we believe are five easy uh, and more effective tips to help you hit the ball further. Um, so we're wanting you to give these a try. So the first one, I think, Cindy, is paramount. I know you've talked about this uh, yourself, and that is the grip. Um, you know, we're sort of titling this first step, if you will, is watch your grip. Uh, and you may want to adjust, depending. For, we're going to talk about right-handed golfers. So for those left-handed uh, golfers out there, which we know there are a lot of you, um, just sort of put everything in, in opposite perspective to what we're going to talk about. But talk about why the grip is so important, Cindy, because this is an area I think that a lot of golfers, for a myriad of reasons, get wrong. I agree. I agree. And just remember that the only thing that touches the club is your hands, and they must be holding the club correctly. And I agree with with you that you should turn your your top hand, which for right-handed golfers is your left, just turn it in just a little bit, strengthen it, they would call it. That doesn't mean, you know, way, way over, but maybe see a knuckle or two. What I tell people to do is stand up tall away from the ball and allow your arm to hang from your shoulders. And wherever your arm hangs and your hand kind of turns in a little bit, that's where you want to grip the club. Don't try to maneuver the hand over or under. Just kind of let it hang and then grip the club over by your side. And that should be your perfect grip for the way your arm hangs from your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, as you said, sort of try to force that movement. You know, I remember years ago, Jack Nicholas in his uh, video, uh, Golf My Way, talked about that very thing. Is He just put his hands to the side and he just sort of, uh, you know, put the, the club there. And, and just gripped it with his left hand. He didn't maneuver anything. He didn't manipulate his hand. It just where his arm and his hands were naturally at his sides, that's how he gripped the club. And so it just feeds to, to what you were talking about. The other thing, too, I think, Cindy, um, is the grip pressure. A lot of people, you know, I mean, you've seen this with many students on the, on the lesson tee. You know, their veins are popping out. They've got a death grip. Um, they're just squeezing it so hard. You're seeing the veins in their forearms, some even in their neck and in their face, because they've just got. They think they've just got to hold it on for dear life. That's another thing. And, and here's a couple of examples that I always, uh, you know, I've heard over the years, and I've always tried to use. Is think of one of these two options. Think of, of holding a a uh, tube of toothpaste, and that you're just slightly squeezing some out of the container. You're not just squeezing it and it all shoots across the room. It's just sort of a light flow. So in other words, it's a very light grip. Or the other one is imagine you're holding in your hands a baby bird. You're obviously not going to squeeze it too hard or you're going to you know, uh, injure the bird. So you want just a light grip, but you want it firm enough that the club's not going to come flying out of your hand, but not so firm that, as I said, you're going to start seeing you know, veins popping out in your forearms and, and other areas as well. So grip pressure is also important, right? Yeah, and make sure your thumbs do not pinch. So if you're a right-handed player, when you hang your arm, typically your left hand, the thumb on your left hand will rest at 1 o'clock if straight down the grip is midnight. So your left thumb's over on the side. And then when you place Mm -hmm. your right hand on, like you're tossing a ball underhanded, your right thumb is going to go to 11 o'clock. So it's really Mm -hmm. important that thumbs don't pinch, fingers pinch, last three of left and middle two of right, because if the thumbs pinch, they stop the hinging of the wrist, and then you've got Mm -hmm. no speed, and no speed means no distance. So I find so many people are locking their arms and shoulders and pinching with their thumbs, which doesn't allow them to swing the club head. Therefore, they've got no bend and no speed and no distance. Yep. And you don't get a proper wrist cock either. Uh, it, it, it becomes forced. It doesn't happen naturally. And again, that adds to your power. And, you know, moving on to our second point, you, this becomes a little bit more clear. Uh, and that is you know, to move your hips, uh, get your hips involved. 
you know, when we look at some of the smaller players uh, on, on the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour, um, a lot of people might ask themselves, well, how do they hit it so far? Uh, well, it's not because they're, you know, hitting the gym and they're, you know, uh, pumping a lot of iron and, and working out all the time. Certainly that can help, um, but it's because they're doing the things correctly. So keeping that in mind, when you start your downswing, you're using your hips as a trigger to pull the club through your swing rather than trying to push it through with your arms. Give us your thoughts on this because there's a danger too. There's sometimes people will overuse the hips and they start to you know, do a, 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 a slide, if you will. What's the proper way of, of sort of engaging throughout the swing the hips? How, does the, how do they become involved? Well, the hips do, if you're, again, if you're right-handed, your left hip is going to start the downswing, but then it, it needs to stop. So it triggers the downswing, and then the sequence is the hip goes, then it stops, and then the arms allow the wrist, they kind of fall so that the club mm-hmm. falls into a slot, if you will, and then you release it, but the hips have to stay in position. So if you think you have to move your hips and waist and shift your weight, you're going to shift too much, and I fear that you'll get the body there before the head, and then the ball is going to go dead right, which is going to cause a slice. So what I would do is I tell people if you swing your hands, wrists, and arms correctly, close to your body on the swing path that you need for your particular body type, that your hips will move by themselves. So really, Mm -hmm. you've never seen a table with wobbly legs be able to stand up. So you don't want your legs being wobbly because the table might fall. So the legs are there to hold up the table, which is the rest of your body and the club head. That's my opinion. Right. Right. And and your your body is is creating torque. As you go into the backswing, you know, your your body is essentially twisting, uh, building up that torque. And that when that unwinds, when your body begins to unwind, again, with the hips leading things out, um, you're you're essentially – you're releasing all of that torque that you've built up uh, in your backswing. And a lot of times what we see is people will try to force their hands or their upper body uh, to sort of lead the way in the downswing, and that obviously forces an over-the-top position, which we've all heard about, where you're actually casting the club out and you're coming across swiping towards the left, but your club face hasn't squared, so now you're hitting that big old banana ball or slices we often talk about it. So you've got to make sure you do that. But again, it's not a forced movement. It's a, it's a byproduct of a natural movement of your body. And if you get things correctly, if you start with a good grip and you get things back uh, properly in your backswing, your body will begin to unwind naturally. And you just have to let it do that, not try to force it. So your hips do play an important role as we've just pointed out. And leading to your next uh, point here, which you you very eloquently uh, talked about, was shifting your weight. Uh, Transferring the weight is also very important. Um, At the peak of your backswing, roughly uh, about 60% of your weight should be on your back leg. That would be your right leg for for righties, uh, left leg for lefties, of course. Um, And after you pivot through the ball with your hips and hands, about 85 to 90% of your weight uh, should shift to your front leg. Again, left leg being that for righties and right for lefties. Um, shifting weight is extremely important. How many times, Cindy, we see people falling back off the ball? What are some of the causes of that? Well, I think, again, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of body track, but body track is a device that measures the pressure on your feet. And it's so funny because a lot of people, I find, try to shift too much. And really, optimally optimally for PGA Tour players, 60 to 70% of their weight's on their back foot at the top of their backswing, which is not as much as you would think. And I've had so many students go on body track, and they got like 90 to 100% of their weight back on their right foot if they're right-handed, which is that now they're swaying and they're shifting too much. Um, So what I would do, in fact, I was doing that. So I had way too much weight on my back foot. Um, I would just try to stay stable. And, again, if you swing the hands, wrists, and arms correctly, the weight has to shift if you really let the club head go and you've got club Mm -hmm. head speed. 
um, your weight's going to shift all by itself, and it should move the right amount. So if you're picking the club up, needless to say, and chopping at it, you're not going to shift your weight. If you sweep it back and let the arms stay close to your body and swing it and let your wrists hinge and then throw the head in an underhanded motion, everything's going to happen by itself. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people, just to go to your point that you said a moment ago uh, about that swaying, you know, we often see a lot of players that move too far into, again, for right-handed golfers, into that right side, so much so that they feel pressure on the outside of their right foot, which means they're actually has swayed over top of the the back leg too much, um, you shouldn't have that feeling. The weight should be on the inside of your right foot, um, not the other way around, because you're going to create a sensation of almost like you're pushing off with that right foot. If you go the other way, what ends up happening is you get so much weight on the back foot, it's without really a forced lateral shift back, uh, you're going to end up creating that reverse pivot, which basically happens as you start to move forward, but your body cannot, uh, before you finish the swing, cannot get enough weight back over the front. So you end up, as I said, falling back, uh, which we call a reverse pivot. And then you, who knows what's going to happen, depending on whether your hands you know, connect uh, quickly or not, uh, depends on what's going to happen. Sometimes you'll just top the ball. Sometimes you'll scoop it. You know, All kinds of things can happen. So you're not going to get a, a proper weight shift. So it's very, very important that you put all the components together correctly in order to feel that proper weight shift. A very simple drill that people can do, and again, uh, just do the opposite for left-handed golfers. What I like to do is to put a golf ball underneath the back foot, around the the side of your back foot, on the right-hand side, on the outer side, and just so that you're stepping on it a little bit. And what that'll do is as you transition into the backswing, because that golf ball is there, you're not going to be able to get all the way over, uh, certainly not very easy without forcing it. And that kind of gets you to the point where you need to. And then, again, it's automatically going to give you that sensation of sort of pushing off that back foot and everything falls into sequence. So try that. Uh, just put a golf ball around the middle point of, uh, of your back uh, foot, your right foot in this case for right-handed golfers, under the outside of your foot, um, just so that uh, you don't have to do it completely, but just at least part of it's under there. So that it kind of feels like that right foot slanted a little bit towards the inside, uh, and that'll help you prevent you from swaying all the way over the ball. So try that. Uh, that's a, I think a good tip. A lot of people have used, and um, not in uh, preventing from shifting your weight too much. The other one too, and, and, and again, people need to understand this: is keep that lead arm, left arm, again for right-handed golfers, right arm for left-handed golfers. Uh, keep that lead arm straight. Uh, a lot of people don't realize the straighter you keep your lead arm. Uh, the longer the ball will travel. Uh, This is essential in adding distance with a straight arm, but there's a a cautionary tale with this. You don't want to lock it. Um, Cindy, that's an area that I think a lot of people misunderstand. So how can we, you know, kind of, you know, maybe explain a little bit better than what I'm doing, obviously, about keeping that that front arm a little bit straighter without actually locking it in place. What are we talking about here? Yeah, because you have to be very careful. If you tell people to keep their arms straight, then they lock their arm, then they can't swing the club, then they dig to China and hit it dead right if you're right-handed. So <laughs> what I would do is um, I would relax the arm and let the club head swing. So the more you let the arms go back and forth, the wider the arc will be. Um, and you want to swing your arms as wide as you can. So there's a difference between keeping your arm straight and turning back and relaxing your arm and allowing it to swing wide. It's all in how you perceive what we're saying. Unfortunately, there is no video here. But, um, right. yeah, what, what you need to do is you need to allow, allow the arm to swing because then the arc's going to be bigger, then the circle's bigger, and the bigger the circle, the more speed that can be generated. Therefore, the bar, ball's going to go further. So... Yep. Yeah, it's hard without showing visually. The, well, let me let me try to help a little bit for, for those that are trying to d- develop a mental picture. When you lock your arms, what ultimately ends up happening, when you lock that lead arm, uh, and, and what I mean by that is you're locking the elbow, so you're sort of keeping it straight like a rod. What ha- happens is as you come down and you, if you're trying to force that position, you'll actually lift up out of the ball because you're, you just won't be able to – your body won't move in that position. You want to think of 
um, your arm as a rope. Um, as it swings, there is going to be a very slight um, flex in it, as even when it goes back in. It's still going to be straight, but there's going to be a very, very slight flex, which is good, which is what you want. If you try to force it and lock it, as I said, you're going to create other problems, uh, and you're, again, you're going to let that tension creep back in. So you want to think of your arms as ropes uh, to get that sort of whipping motion. You've heard people, uh, professionals, talk about that uh, many times during their lessons to sort of swing it or think of like an elephant's trunk as it's waving and swaying back and forth. You know, it does sort of flex slightly, uh, but essentially it's just swaying and allowing it to move in a natural movement. And if you do that, you'll find, as Cindy pointed out, you'll find out you'll be able to create that club head speed. Things will happen in a way that they're meant to happen. Um, if you try to lock it or force it, um, you're going to, again, create a myriad of problems. So just kind of think of your arms swaying like two ropes. Um, that way I think you'll get a better understanding. All right. Um, this is another one too, Cindy, um, that I know that you've probably spoken to your students a lot over the years, uh, is what to do with the hands, uh, turning your hands over. So making sure you finish your swing strong by turning your right hand, again for right-handed golfers, over the correct uh, at the correct moment. The key is to snap, some refer to it as a whoosh, your right hand for righties through the ball at impact in order to ramp up that extra club head speed, which will turn, uh, increase the flight ball, uh, flight distance of the ball. Uh, so essentially it's crossing over. Uh, again, maybe you can lay it out a little bit better than what I have, but give them the general idea of what we're talking about here. So I would be careful to say turn your hands over. I would I would prefer the wording to be release the head. So the whole mm -hmm. mission of golf is to start with the club head square at address with you bowing over and your arms hanging and your hands on the club to swing it back to the top of the backswing and then bring it back to where it started as close as possible with speed. So that being said, as you swing back, the face has to open a little bit. If the face doesn't mm -hmm. open, it's going to be shut at the top. Therefore, the ball is going to go way left. So I would say relax your arms again, allow the head to swing open, and then when you come down, you must release the head like you're tossing a ball underhanded with your back hand. So if you're right-handed, you're going to toss the ball underhanded with your right palm. If you're left-handed, you're going to toss the ball underhanded with your left palm. If you do that, the face and the grip should come right back to where it started at impact. If you do that with some speed, you're going to hit it long and straight. When you release the club, you're turning the toe over, and if you're right-handed, you're going to make it go left, which is going to hook, and if you do it underhanded the other way, it's going to go way right. So I would beware of the words of, you know, turn your hands over, and I would prefer it to be release the club head square down the line, which will make the ball go straight. Great point. Uh, nice way of, of putting it as well. Um, and, and, you know, here's the thing. You have to, you know, golf is, is, is a game where it doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter what shape you are, how tall or how short you are. You can play this game um, just as well as anybody else if you're willing to put in the effort. But the key difference is why some people really excel, obviously they work at it very hard, is the fact that they do things correctly. Um, you know, you see sometimes, you know, we often have equated uh, the golf swing very similar to people in baseball throwing a ball. They sort of go back to their back foot. You know, they're, they're taking their right, if they're right-handed, they're taking their right hand behind them, and then they're transferring their weight, and then they're releasing the ball. Um, then you see others that kind of don't do any bottom movement, and they just take their arm back and try to throw it. It doesn't go very far. So one is doing things correctly. They're sequencing their body and their arms and their hands, and everything is going in a proper sequence in order to get maximum power. Well, we're talking about that here this morning uh, with our tips here on how to hit the ball further. If you do them in the sequence that we're telling you here, you're going to see results. You don't have to, you know, as I said earlier, you don't have to get out there and hit the gym. It's nothing wrong with getting out and working out and, and keeping your body toned and, and in shape. That's certainly going to help. 
but that's not what's going to get it. The, the people that you're seeing, whether it be the guys uh, out in the PGA or the ladies out in the LPGA, they're not hitting it far because they're pumping iron and they're you know, eating their Wheaties and, and whatnot. They're doing it because they understand the proper sequences of the golf swing, and they're maximizing that sequence to the best of their ability, and they're able to generate a lot of club head speed. Um, so you can't go out and buy your game. You can't go out and just buy specific equipment. Uh, you might gain a little bit of yardage, but ultimately if you're not doing the sequences properly and you're not you know, executing the golf swing properly, um, you're just not going to do very well. So I think if you listen to these points, go back after the show and listen to this first part again and really you know, think about it. And if you have any questions, by all means, you're welcome to reach out to uh, either Cindy or I, uh, my email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and Cindy's is at cindy at cindymillergolf.com. Feel free to reach out to us if you've got any questions. If you didn't understand something that we talked about uh, or any of the other shows, we're always happy uh, and willing to be here to help you out. So uh, keep that in mind. But, Cindy, I think that pretty much covers it, right? I think it does, and I wish we could buy a game. <laughs> I must tell you, there's a new. Yeah, I, I hear you. An, I'm, I hear I'm you, like sister. A, I'm a, a, a lunatic for trying to buy yardage, and uh-huh. um, one of our students who's trying to play on tour wants to hit another. She texted me. She goes, "Hey, have you seen that new shaft that Adam Scott's using? You're supposed to hit it 20 yards farther." And I'm like, "Really?" She goes, "Yeah, but they're really expensive." She goes, "Why don't we both get one?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> I called Callaway and I said, hey, do you have this shaft? They said, no, but when we get it in stock, it's going to be in the exotic category. I'm like, well, I like exotic, right? So then I told our son, Jamie, and he goes, wow, if I hit it another 20, I'm like, I could take 20 from you and you'd never, you know, miss it. You hit it so far. So, of course, all three of us bought the shaft. So then, um, and I'm telling you, more than a driver costs. So then wow. I said to Jamie, I, I tried it on the flight scope. I go, this thing doesn't go any further. I'm like, why did I just spend all this money? And he said, well, you're supposed to have this particular Epic driver head. So then I had to order a new Epic driver head to go with the new. And I flew it at least 10 yards further. So there you go. You can buy yardage once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can buy it. It can, it can be costly, but you can buy it. But it, I think if you if you do the things that we suggest, yeah, if you do the things that we suggested, folks, I think that you're going to, you know, because here's the bottom line: is it doesn't matter what equipment you have in your hand. If you're not doing things correctly, then you're not going to reap the benefits. You're not going to see the benefits of um, gaining extra yards or even accuracy, as we've talked about before on the show. So, um, you know, get out there and work on some of these things and don't forget to always work on your, your, your basic fundamentals, your grip, your stance, your posture, and your alignment. Those are things that you can always, you know, again, I refer to Jack Nicholas. He always said at the beginning of every new season, uh, you know, he wasn't out there, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel. He went out and he worked on his fundamentals. You know, he was, uh, you know, back when the PGA Tour didn't go quite the length it goes now in the season, and as the other tours are, um, you know, they would have a little bit of a, a winter respite, if you will. And, you know, he just said, look, you know, I hadn't played for a little while uh, competitively, so I need to get out there and I need to work on certain things. So I think if you work on the fundamentals and you work on some of the tips that we talked about here in the No BS Zone this morning, uh, you're going to begin to hit that ball a little bit further. Um, if you try to force it, then you're going to give up a lot of accuracy. So you want to be careful of that. All right, before we introduce our guest, let's take a quick listen to a message here from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. And... Um Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Cindy and I are always happy to be here every Tuesday morning here on the Women of Golf Show and helping you improve your game. 
Uh, and one of the ways that we do that is bringing on some special guests that can uh, maybe shed some light and, and uh, give you a, a, an idea of how you can elevate your game. And we've got just such a, an individual this morning joining us. Of course, we're talking about Kathy Hartwood, who is also an LPJ teacher professional. Uh, in fact, she's ranked uh, one of LPJ's uh, teaching and club professionals top 50 LPJ teachers. Uh, she's the creator of The Groove, a golf instruction membership site that offers a resource for golfers learning and improving in the game. Uh, she's also a uh, confidence coach who helps players overcome the mental obstacles that interfere with performance. Uh, and she also offers coaching in group workshops and individual formats. Um, so, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest this morning, Kathy Hartwood. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Cindy, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys. We're so glad you're, you're welcome. here. Ted, did you know that Kathy grew up right down the street from me and that her dad was like a golf dad to me? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I I did. Yeah. I actually and we I see that yeah, she's from the the Buffalo area as well, so you you guys have a lot in common. So Cindy, I'm going to let you go first since you do have uh, a little more in common with Kathy and and uh, start our discussion. <laughs> So I want to know, in reading all the bio stuff today, and I know what you do and I, I know what you believe in, but I I kind of want to go a little deeper today. So I hope you don't mind. I believe okay. that both of us are using what we've learned ourselves to overcome our challenges and defeat our personal demons to now help others do the same. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I totally agree with you. I had, and I know, I know your story, and and you know a lot about me. And I, um, you know, I I played for a living, but I always felt like I was not performing to my potential. I felt like I had more potential than I was taking out to the golf course, and I really could never figure it out. And you know, my you know my brother has a very good career. He plays on the tour, now Champions Tour. My dad was a really good golfer, and I always thought there was something wrong with me that why I couldn't take it out there, uh, out to the golf course. And I knew I was getting in my own way, and I wasn't able to manage my emotions and my thoughts. And you know, I quit golf actually for a long time. I was just because it just made me so uh, miserable uh, for. Uh, for most of the time because I was always going out there and I was going to be disappointed every time I showed up and I felt like I underperformed and I just wasn't willing to go out there and feel disappointed. So I quit. And then just different areas of my life because I'm always trying to improve. And I've got, um, I, I hired a life coach and the life coach that, that I learned from and the, what they taught changed everything, put everything that I was doing in, into perspective. I totally understood why I was holding myself back, and, um, and it changed every other area of my life when I went through that, and I became certified, and now I put this framework that I learned through being a certified life coach, which, is, which I call like a little formula, into the golf arena, and I'm helping people there um, change their you know their relationship with golf, and in and in um, as a result, it like changes every other area of your life. Because how we do one thing, we do everything. So the things that I was doing off the golf course, and the and the way that I wasn't managing my mind and my perfectionism, I was taking out onto the golf course, and that's why it didn't matter how many balls I hit or how many lessons I took, I was never going to be able to take all my talent out there. And I just uh, I just want to share it with a lot of other people, so they're not as you know frustrated as I was. Can you give us an example? Uh, an example of how I was frustrated or an example of how um, what you that, were doing and how, what you did to fix it for you? So I realized that, um, well, I learned how to manage my emotions, for one thing. I, re- I realized the role that emotions play on the golf course. I also understood that I gave away my power when I thought that situations and circumstances actually affected my emotions, and that's not true. So in other words, if I was had a let's say for instance for an average person it would be like hitting a shot maybe a hundred yard shot over water and people would say well it makes me so nervous and anxious and it's where I'm in the bunker and I get um, you know I get stressed out or in a tournament I I feel pressure on these shots and that's not true because in between 
any situation or circumstance is a thought that, that you have control over and that people ignore, and those thoughts are what create our emotions. And when you can start managing your thoughts, then you can create your emotions uh, that you want. And on the golf course, it was about um, – you, uh, well, actually, let me finish something, because then those emotions actually create our actions that we take on the golf course. So if you're nervous, you're not going to make your best swing. And from those actions, we get our results. And so what I was trying to do was I was trying to force my results, which is what a lot of people do in golf. They become very uh, results-oriented, right? So I'm trying to go out and, you know, saying I need to and I have to all the time on the golf course, which was putting a lot of pressure on me. And the thing that I didn't realize is that the more I took care of just how I thought and how I felt over the golf ball and allowed myself to process my emotions much quicker on the golf course, so I, so I got to the next shot and was able to not hit a ball from being frustrated, pissed, pissed off, or disappointed, I was going, then the results will come, right? And I think, and then in the process and the other thing for me was that I just didn't beat the crap out of myself which was served no purpose whatsoever and that um was probably was probably the biggest change like I have my own back now and I also um realized that my confidence as a golfer has nothing to do with my self-confidence so I cannot have a good day but I can still be self-confident because part of being self-confident is having your own back and not beating the crap out of yourself that's one of the steps or one of the pieces of it. And so just all of that is just really just learning how to manage your thoughts, seeing the big picture and where the results come from you being in the right state or emotional state and just trusting that they're going to come. And then the game's so much more fun. Hmm. Can you explain, <laughs> which, I, yeah, it's like, hi, 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 this is so true. Um mm-hmm. What do you see? Do you teach a lot of kids? Because I do. And yeah, I like, am. holy cow. Yeah. So I did a workshop last fall for junior golfers on how to manage your mind. Um, and and I have a I have a little promo thing that I have on, like, the five key skills that you need to teach your junior golfer. And I really do want to start doing more workshops and teaching kids how to manage their mind. This is one of the things that I, that I learned and studied. Is we're not taught how to do this. Like we're like we're at the, become at the effect of our own mind instead of learning that we actually have more control over it than we think, and controlling our emotions. You know, and teens and kids are huge like examples of that on the golf course. Granted, once they, I mean, they have to get a certain brain development uh, until they can do it, but or really have control over it or get to see it. Almost kind of like watching your brain from the outside, noticing the thoughts and that they're optional. I mean, you might have 60,000 in a day, but you don't have to listen to every one of them. I mean, half of them we don't hear, right? But then you can start thinking intentionally. <laughs> yeah, I call my evil twin Cynthia. I'm like, yeah. hey, oh, stop yeah. it. I'm busy right now. I'm not going to pay attention I, to you. I'm doing this over here. Exactly. That's exactly what you need to do. It's like, all right, it's like sometimes I cuss at mine, right? And mine's Betty. Everything is, I don't know, like, I just don't know Betty, so I don't want to insult anybody, but it's like Betty, like a, like a Karen kind of like, yeah, you know, poor Karen, but you know what I'm saying. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, all right, I hear you, I see you. I know the role that my brain is doing. It is trying to keep us safe. So our, that's the way our brains are designed is just to, you know, they haven't evolved much from caveman days where we were just our primitive brain, which is in the back of our brain, is um, trying to scan the universe for ways that we're going to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, right? That's our perceived danger in the world. And it's telling you just go back in to the cave and stay safe. But now right. we don't have tigers. What we have is social pressure and our emotional mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, circumstances and people uh, judging us and all those things, our brain still perceives that as danger. So it's going to chirp at you to just go home and get underneath the covers and watch Netflix all day because that's <laughs> how we're going to keep you safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So people stand on the first tee and all they see is like a bunch of tigers out there, right? There's a bunker and there's out of bounds and there's people watching me. And, um, and then they go into this fight or flight mode and that's why it becomes very hard for some folks to, you know, tackle it. But when you know that's what your brain's supposed to do, you can talk to your Cynthia and you can talk to your Betty and say, shut the hell up. <laughs> right. I'm busy yeah. right now. 
Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, what do you what would you say to parents? Um, because I've got a lot of them, and I'm sure you do yeah. too. That they yeah. scare these kids. Well, we got to shoot better, and it's like you know what? I'm not trying to screw this up, Dad. And you know, yeah, I've never met anybody tried to screw it up. So, do you understand that you're really hurting your child? Yes, probably not. Because it's right. their fears you know, I mean, are being plopped right. on the heads of their kids. Yes. I mean, like, you know, I don't think any parent is intentionally trying to, um, you know, do that. They just don't understand, as they understood, like, the way that uh, by putting pressure on their kid to create a result, that kid's not going to create that result. Um, you know, it's it's trying to, if you're thinking about, how if the pressure that you have on a score is so that someone else can be happy, it's, they're just not going to succeed, you know, ever, right? right? They have to do it because right. they want to do it and they want to have fun. And, you know, fun has come up so much in, uh, in the, on the PGA Tour, for sure, as just examples of how much you can't force results. And if you're not having fun, you're not going to um, you're not going to you're not going to get them. And one of them was from well, I'll give you a couple of examples. But um, well, one Lee Westwood, I'm like enamored with him over, especially since Bay Hill and players. If you just watched him perform, he looked like he was having such a good time. You could tell that he's at total peace with who he is and how he's going out there. And he's made comments like, "I can't control my results. All I'm going to do is just enjoy myself and go through my process and." Sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. And so and you, that shows on his face, right, when he's out there playing. He said that his quote after the Players' Championship, or it might have been Bay Hill, I didn't actually which one it was, but he said, I had fun out there. I felt calm and in control, right? And that's all like those are all just emotions right there that he's trying to manage on the golf course so that his results will come, which come after the emotions. And even Jordan Spieth, I listened to one of his interviews, he said, if I'm because everybody was critiquing like where the hell have you been right and what's happened to you um he said if i'm if i'm feeling freedom out there i'm loving what i do and if i love what i do i'll do it well and so these parents who are forcing their kids or not forcing if they're trying to you know, they're putting this pressure on their kids and they're making it not fun they're not going to get the results they're not going to do it well you can't beat yourself up or you can't force people to have success it just doesn't work that way correct Correct, yeah. correct. And Jordan said this on Sunday. I had a different mindset. I tried to have fun today. And I yeah. was more at peace with myself. And it's like, hi, he got the job done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, so. that's exactly right. I mean, that's why when you're taking care of, like, and I have, like I said, my little formula where your thoughts create your emotions, and then the results come after that. So if you can manage, and that's the only thing you can ever manage Anywhere Control. in your life is what you think and feel. Yes. Correct, yep. Amundo. Hey, Ted, we yep. might let you talk now. You want to say something? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ted. Well, I, I got to be honest. I, oh, yeah, I, I'm, Ted's I've been here. Right, I've been, yeah, I've been rewriting my questions because I'll be honest, I'm, I'm scared for either Betty or Cynthia to show up. So I've got to make sure my questions <laughs> oh, are. Hey, right. you got a Steve or something in there. You got a Steve or Tim or somebody. You got yours, uh, too. <laughs> I know. I gotta say, um, well, side well, note: you just need to know that we are both badass bitches from Buffalo, so be careful. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, oh fortunately, I like fortunately I like the Buffalo Bills, and I do like wings as well. Um, yeah. So I think I'm I'm all right. And Perfect. and by the way, um, Kathy, roll tide. Um, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> I want to, now. I'm going to be honest. I, I had to say that it, it was hard to get those words out because I'm a I'm a uh, an Auburn fan, so War Eagle. I got to throw that out there oh, as well. But I'm I, I respect. Listen, I respect I respect Alabama. They've done well. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna shovel that aside because I don't want I don't want Betty to show up. So um, okay. So let me ask you something. <laughs> since we're on, we're we're talking about the mental game. Uh, you know, you said so many things that were were just spot on. We've got a new group of people as a result of this pandemic that have come out, um, you know, they, they got tired of, you know, watching Netflix. They needed to come out. I'm sure you've seen it where you're uh, teaching and that people that have never played this game before, they just needed to get out of the house. And they said, you know what? Golf's one of the few things that we can do. So 
taking it from a mental games perspective, we all know we've got to teach them the basics, how to hold the club, and, and so on and so forth. But how do we make sure mentally we get them off on the right track? Well, I think expectations, I think, is, it would be the biggest thing for these people coming out and being able to manage their expectations so that they don't get frustrated, right? When your expectations exceed reality, they get, you, know, you get, that's their recipe for frustration. And so I think them knowing that there, there isn't a destination to get to, that enjoy the process and know that, you know, what to expect out of, granted, everybody learns at a different pace, but for the most part, everybody's going to go through the same things as they learn the game, right? There's a whole new vocabulary and, and there's, it can be overwhelming in the beginning. And I think setting people up to know that what, what to expect and know that they can be overwhelmed. And once they get overwhelmed that's when or frustrated, then they quit, right? And they don't want to do anymore. And then it becomes not fun. And making the process of learning the game fun, even when you're missing and you're not hitting great shots, I think is the biggest thing for people to have longevity in the game. Right. Well said. Yeah. What would the conversation be if you had a student that came to you and said the following, you know, as long as I can hit the ball well, does the mental game really matter? If so, why? I mean, I'm, I'm hitting the ball pretty good. As long as I can hit the ball well. Yeah, well, as long, um, yeah, if, I, yeah. if I can hit the ball well, what, what does the mental game really matter? What, what, what part well, is it I playing? Think I think that, a lot of people yeah. don't understand. Yeah, well, I think that it's more about it's more about being prepared for the things that can pull a rug out from underneath you because, A, you're not always going to hit the ball well, and mm-hmm. then you're going to have situations out there that are going to ruffle you, so to speak, whether it's playing, in a, playing with certain people, you're going to get underneath pressure, and if you don't or you're, or you're going to have a lie that gets you upset, who knows, right? Your emotions, it's not about necessarily how well you hit it. It's about your mo- emotional management. Right. If you can sit there and go and not and not spend, I, I call them your mental poker chips on things that don't matter, um, then you're going to be able to keep be able to maintain your focus throughout the round. And so when it, and and the other thing that I would definitely say is that when if you don't realize, I got to make sure I say this properly. If you don't realize how big of a role that your mental game is, and you only think it's your skill, then when your skill goes because everything ebbs and flows in golf then you're going to lose instantly lose confidence right you're not going to have that Mm -hmm. skill of confidence so you're going to think everything is dependent on how well you hit it and that is not true with golf right you can hit it you can still win by hitting some crappy shots right if you have that ability but the minute that your um skill goes and ebbs and flows so does your confidence and that's and so then what happens is then we get needy and graspy with trying to figure out how to hit good shots again so that we can feel confident on the golf course, and that's doing it the hard way. Right, right, exactly. And what people don't understand mm-hmm. and don't really, unfortunately, think about is your brain controls everything that you do. So you yep. don't hit those great golf shots without your brain. And that's part of the mental <laughs> game as well. It's not just about strategy. It's not just about thinking. It's about sending the proper signal to your body to perform a certain task or function. And if you're, if you're cluttering up that mind and you've got so many thoughts going through your head, that signal doesn't get there in the manner it should get there. And then you start to overthink and you start to overanalyze a lot of things. And I think this is why, going to your point, you can, I mean, think of how many players we've seen on both the men's and the ladies' tours over the years that have great golf swings. Hit the ball perfect, as pure mm-hmm. as you could, you could imagine anybody hitting it but they don't win a lot of tournaments. Mm-hmm. So you can be the best ball striker on the planet, but that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. equate to winning golf tournaments. It's going to help, but it doesn't necessarily. And the ones that do successfully navigate around that course and get to the winner's circle have a very strong mental game. The more often that mm. they win, you look at Tiger Woods, you look at Nancy Lopez as an example, you look at Jack Nicklaus, of course, they all had very strong mental games, and look how many tournaments they won mm-hmm. compared to many of the others out field. So I, I agree with that. All right, I want to flip to something. I, I was on your site, of course, and we'll give that mm-hmm. out a little bit mm-hmm. later uh, before we wrap up. And you had some fun and weird facts, so I thought I'd go through a few of them here. Oh, um, no. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. 
So I'm going to go to the one because you already sort of you, you tipped this one off, and you said, you know, your dad, of course, is a golf pro, your brother, and, of course, your husband. Uh, and you mm-hmm. and I quote, you said, we have some intense family matches and boring dinner conversations. So yes. tell us about the matches first, and <laughs> what did you learn playing with your brother, you know, obviously your husband your, and your dad? What did you learn from them um, as you navigated through your golf game? And what did you teach them? Um, so that's a good question. So I think the biggest thing that I learned is that they had a, they got a lot of pleasure out of trying to get in my kitchen, so to speak, right? So that it was all about you had to build a tough skin, right? It was all if I got ahead, um, if I got ahead, then they would start playing little mental tricks on me, trying to get me ruffle my feathers. And of course, I wasn't able to manage my mind as well as now. <laughs> so a lot of times. They did, and they got a lot of pleasure out of that, which was um, I just I learned a lot from just being just toughening up on that and not reacting to them. And then, of course, they would play the the um, the woman card as far as if I if I got ahead, so mm-hmm. and the tees and everything like that. So I, we what we did was we would play we would play matches where we agreed that everybody we I would hit from we all had various tee markers because as my dad got older, he hit some shorter tees and Dudley was super long. So he played back, but the goal was that we'd all play from tee markers and we would mix, mix and match them throughout the round where we would all hit about the same club in. And that way there was, nobody had any kind of bragging rights or bitching rights, um, so to speak. So that was like learning how to make things equitable out there. And, uh, Every one of them competed in a different way, which was so interesting to watch, and it was still very effective for them. So I think that's a big thing to take away is you have to find the way that you motivate yourself and that you can stay focused and driven and competitive, and it doesn't have to be like the next person. Um, And they all played different games and still were very effective. So that was just so, um, I think, just so eye-opening to watch. Very good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that your favorite golf course is Pebble Beach, um, mm-hmm. as you put it, mostly for the scenery <laughs> and, of course, the seals. And for those yeah. of you that have never been, um, when all of this dust with this pandemic clears up and you're able to travel a little bit more easily, I suggest you go out and visit that area. It's a beautiful area along the coast line of uh, the Pacific coastline. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to ask you this question from a different perspective. So, I've been there, you've been there, you know, Cindy, I believe you've been there as well, uh, and or certainly another course that's equally as beautiful. Um, what is it about golf that people that don't golf don't get? What is it about the game, not just how we play the game and what's done, but what is the overall, I guess, feeling as golfers we get when we step out on that first tee and we're looking out at all that, that beautifully manicured grass and those greens and so on and so forth and the foliage that's around and, and the nature or whatnot, what is it that they don't get that we do? Um, I, well, I think there's, I think there's just such an appreciation. I think when you go on the golf course of the, the beauty, like you said, it's just a different place to be in the world, like on the golf course. And I think the other part besides that, like enjoying all the, the, beautiful golf courses. There's plenty of golf courses that aren't so beautiful. Um, is I think the connection that you have with people, it's just, there's just golf is such a small community. Once you get in it, even though it's a huge community, it's just everybody, mm-hmm. um, it's just a, a relatability with other people. And I think one of the, one of the most valuable things for people with golf is that or playing golf is that connection and that social aspect and being able to have something that in, uh, uh um, in common with so many other people uh, that it's just a, it's a world within the world that I think everybody should at least try and engage in at some point. I think it's a fabulous community. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I think in, in addition to the beauty that's out there, um, there's just a, a camaraderie that you have uh, with your fellow players and others. If you sometimes, mm-hmm. as I've done many times, as I'm sure we all had you, get plunked into a group if you're showing up as a single and uh, you get to meet new people and it's always interesting to hear their stories as well uh, i got one more question i'm going to have from your fun and, and weird facts um not <laughs> golf related <laughs> and then and then cindy i'm gonna yeah uh, uh, it, it gave me a good chuckle but anyways um you completed three triathlons i'm assuming this yeah. was part of a bucket list that you had 
Um, yeah. And uh, some it wasn't all pleasure. I'm sure it was very hard work, very stressful to to do that from a physical standpoint. And of course, uh, you know, every once in a while, a good old jellyfish would float up and cause you a little bit of havoc. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I've done. I did. So I did two in Florida. One at Disney, which was super cool because you ran through the castle, uh, Cinderella's castle, on the way to the you know the lakes that I was for sure had alligators in it. So that was in my mind the whole time. And another one I did in St. Petersburg, which was out in the bay. So that wasn't too bad. And the other one was in New Jersey at Sandy Hook, which is anybody knows where that is. It's not nice. Like there's garbage mm-hmm. floating in that area. And um, mm. it was, you know, it was, um, I don't know. Sometimes I question why I did it. I was like chased and like, I didn't have the right clothing. I mean, I like thighs rubbed together on my wet shorts. Cause I didn't have those right. And I was like, you know, it was just, it was like getting kicked in yeah. the face and I was, um, yeah, I think the more of it was just, it was just me being determined to just achieve something. I set a little goal and I wanted to do it and I knocked it off the list, but it, it was like, I'm good free. I'm done. I don't need to do that anymore. Um, and it was, yeah, just, it, it was physically challenging and mentally challenging. And I just set a goal and I just wanted to do it. And I did a couple with some girlfriends. It was, I did a couple of the, they were dancing women triathlons i don't think they do them anymore but um yeah it's it's uh that's an amazing it's an amazing uh challenge if anybody's <laughs> anybody wants one because i'm not my body's not meant for running so it's like i'm like you know it's i have there's nothing gazelle about me i'm short and stocky little short legs it's like there's i'm meant to bike like the biking part i got big thighs that was good so and i had to teach myself to swim I went and took lessons in Fort Lauderdale at the there's a uh, the swimming hall of fame. Um, I I went and took lessons and figured out how to swim. I didn't I mean I could swim, but I didn't know how to swim efficiently and breathe efficiently and what to expect. And yeah, so I took a lot of lessons there um, when I was living in Fort Lauderdale. Well, so. you definitely needed to to get away from those alligators for sure. Um, yeah, well, and it Cindy, didn't help. I gotta um, tell you because your head's <laughs> above the water most of the time. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to keep an eye out. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Yeah. I know we've only got a few minutes left, but uh, go ahead. I had no idea you did triathlons. Now I really know that you're nuts. I would never yeah. get in water where alligators live. <laughs> what is the well, I didn't know you, that girl? until afterwards. They they snagged a remember they like the a little kid got killed at one of those lakes in Disney. It was like I'm like that's the same damn lake right. that I swam in. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're still here to talk to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Give us one more golden nugget, and then we're going to kick you out of here. What's What's the biggest thing that you have learned in all your years of being on the planet that will help someone else get better? Uh, I would tell you that one of the biggest things with my clients, so I coach people like a lot of professionals, um, I have I coach doctors and lawyers and all these amazing people who are struggling with taking. They're very successful and they they're like kind of frustrated with not being able to take it out to the golf course and they have things that they want to do. And one of the things that runs through everything and it was in a Lee Westwood quote as well. It's that we worry too much about what other people think, and it mm-hmm. and it's just amazing to me on how pervasive that is. Lee Westwood had said, you know, I just quit worrying about what other people think. Uh, in one of his quotes when he was doing so well. And I think that's the biggest thing that um, pops up in all of my coaching is just that feeling, that fear of being judged by other people and worrying what they're thinking. And I think the big thing to understand is, is that you can't control it. You can't control what other people say. You have no idea. And whatever they are thinking is, uh, you know, is, is their own business. It's not your business. And when you let that affect you and your emotions and your playing, then you're giving away your power to these people who you're guessing what they're thinking anyway. So you just keep your own power. Don't worry about it. Don't let that affect your thought. It's easy for me to say don't worry about it because we're tribal and we, we do think about what other people think and we don't want to get kicked out of the tribe. But I just be aware of it and know and just remind yourself that you you have no clue what people are thinking, and you can't control it anyway. So carry on. Good girl. Thanks, honey yeah. bun. Very Love good. you. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. For those that you. Yes. Yeah. For those of you that want to reach out to Kathy, you can visit her website, mm-hmm. kathyhartwood.com, 
And if you want to learn how to outrun alligators, you can email her at Kathy at KathyHartwood.com. And, oh, by the way, you can also get some great tips on how to improve your golf game as well. Kathy, thank you very much for joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure. And um, yeah. we hope you come back and visit us again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You guys have a fabulous day. You All right. Too, you sweetie. too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Yep, she's from Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, we we have Very good. something in common. Yeah, uh, we'll have to get into that a little bit more next time. We'll have to get her back on the show and, and do that. But we appreciate everybody tuning in this morning. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to go back and listen to uh, the show, obviously, in tired if you're just joining us here a little bit late. We had some great tips earlier on in the No BS Zone on how to hit the ball further. I think they're going to help your game. And as I said, you can always reach out to either Cindy and I, uh, Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com, or me at Ted.GolfTalkLive at gmail.com. On that note, we will see you next week with another great show here on the Women of Golf. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.